Hi, welcome to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm Peter Bulmer, owner of Cars Magazine and Jobber News. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring issues facing today's Canadian aftermarket professionals, sponsored by Sirius XM Canada. Sirius XM is making it possible to offer your customers three months of free satellite radio. Go to SiriusXM.ca slash four shops for details. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. Today, I'm joined by the CEO of El Monte, Lewis Black. Lewis, thanks for coming on. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Never better. Thank you. El Monte isn't terribly, terribly well known, I wouldn't think, in our circles specifically. So just for the benefit of our listeners, can you give them sort of an idea of who you are, where you come from, and talk a little bit about El Monte and what they do? Amonti is, is the largest producer of tungsten concentrate outside of China. China, of course, is the dominant player at 83% of the world's production. Is, it comes from China. And tungsten is used in pretty much everything in your life, both industrial and technology. So all of our customers are vertical all the way through to the end products uh, where they supply the Samsungs, the LGs, the Teslas, the Apples in relation to, to automotive. So you need tungsten to produce a regular motor vehicle for the all the gear parts and the engine blocks you need tungsten for evs because you use it on the anodes and the cathodes now and of course you need tungsten to pump tungsten gas into every semiconductor which of course is is obviously very relevant right now and it gives us a unique insight as to what's going on because ultimately we can see what's what's happening in our sector many many weeks before it sort of gets more widely known because obviously our customers you know share with us all their trials and tribulations yeah and you know the semiconductor industry and the chip shortage everything is kind of one of the recurring themes we talk and write about quite a bit obviously it's you know pretty central to the manufacture of vehicles and that obviously has wide-ranging implications for us. So just to dive right in, based on what you're saying with your kind of unique vantage point, what's going on? When's the supply of semiconductors going to return to normal in general, but specifically as it relates to the automotive industry? Well, I mean, semiconductors are, are impacting U.S. car manufacturers as well as European, but European manufacturers also have a, another problem now. All the wiring looms that are consuming, it's like $12 worth of wiring loom in, in a vehicle. All the three manufacturers or the, the people who assemble it are all Ukrainian. So right now you have a double whammy in, in the Europe mm. in that car plants have come to a standstill because they don't have semiconductors and they don't even have wiring looms because there was never any plan that this could ever happen. But in terms of semiconductors, I think it's worth pointing out that a shortage is not exactly true. You have, a, you know, an increasing capacity of semiconductors. What's happened is that demand has far outstripped supply, and that has created the shortage. So I think some people think that, you know, manufacturers aren't producing enough, or it's taking too long to get to to where they meant to get to their destination, and that implies a shortage. But the shortage is actually being driven by excess demand. And to increase the capacity of semiconductor manufacturing is, is no small feat because these, these plants that produce, I mean, I think it takes six or nine weeks to make one semiconductor through a plant, but these are the cutting edge of what we can do technology-wise. So, you know, you can't just sort of, you know, 
knock one up over a weekend. There requires an enormous amount of planning. And it's really been driven by a number of of factors. The fact that you can't, semiconductors are causing disruption. Ultimately, what, what happened in the lockdown and COVID is that the governments gave us all a great deal of money and sent us home. And of course, (laughs) we're all the same in that sense. It was free money. We spent it. And of course, the only thing you could really spend it on was consumables, electronic consumables, which of course are filled full of semiconductors. So there was problem number one. And then at the same time, there's a a big political push around the world through democracies to face into the future of green technologies and EVs. Now, an EV consume or needs roughly double the number of semiconductors than a regular gasoline vehicle. So you're compounding the shortages by pushing uh, the market much more towards EVs and encouraging people to buy them. So that exacerbates the capacity issues. Right. And car manufacturers are, are caught between a rock and a hard place. They get their allocation of semiconductors, but then what do they do with them? If they, they can produce more regular gasoline vehicles with the semiconductors they have because they use less semiconductors, but then you're going against the great push, political push, to EVs. So then you're, you've got to be showing to the wider world that you are increasing your output of EVs. So you are in also, in fact, exacerbating your own problem. Yeah. And I mean, in Canada, just anecdotally, so by 2035, um, Canada introduced legislation that all new vehicles being sold are supposed to be EVs. So, I mean, it's not only political pressure, but it's political mandate in some cases. Uh, yes, I mean, Europe is the same, I think. I mean, you have countries announcing that by 20, you know, 2025, 2030, 2035, the, you can't buy diesel or, or, or gasoline vehicles anymore. Whether all of this really comes to fruition is another question. You know, the technology involved in, in EVs is incredible. And I think you have to take your hat off to, to Tesla because they took a rather boring and uninteresting and undesirable idea of an electric vehicle because these have been around for some time but if you think about what electric vehicles were six seven years ago they weren't exactly on your number top of your list of things to to acquire Mm -hmm. hybrids were much more the future but they are still a luxury item and that's not going to change anytime soon so it's going to be very difficult for governments to push mandate evs only when the starting entry price of these things are far in excess of what most people can afford. Right. So that, that's also, you know, another, another problem that I don't think has been thought through so well. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I mean, kind of, it's a balancing act, I think when it comes to sort of idealism versus, you know, the affordability reality. So Lewis, I wanted to jump back a second before we keep going. Um, Cause you were mentioning that a lot of the <clears throat> semiconductor sort of, processes are involved in the ukraine for european manufacturers well no, th- those are electrical looms sorry no electrical looms oh, are electrical assembled looms. in the ukraine okay yes and is that putting a squeeze on any north american manufacturers or is that pretty contained to europe that's contained to europe but ultimately for the higher end european vehicles that are produced for export to the u.s that it's going to it causes obviously delays in delivery right but for u.s manufacturers no this is not a this is not a, a problem yeah yeah and uh, we were sort of talking about the push towards green tech. Obviously, that's not going anywhere, like we just sort of mentioned. But if there's not going to be any slowdown in the demand, I guess, what's the answer to either filling the need or is, is it not realistic? Well, what, what's sort of the future hold? 
Well, ultimately, you'll get there. I mean, the, the two biggest countries of, of semiconductor production is Taiwan and South Korea. Taiwan produces the most semiconductors, uh, but South Korea produces the most, most revenue for semiconductors. So they, they produce the very much more advanced semiconductors. And all of them now have clear strategies that they are now talking publicly about, about expanding their own capacity in their existing plants and looking to finally bring those plants into the US, which are, is the main consumer of semiconductors. So there is a plan afoot, but this is not going to happen by Christmas. So it's a vast investment. Uh, I think in, in South Korea, industry has now put forward $350 billion over the next 10 years to increase output of semiconductors. Wow. And there are a number of questions that still arise in, in this expansion. Where are the raw materials coming from? It doesn't get you away from the inherent problem that you have, that the bulk of the raw materials you need for things like semiconductors are really from one or two sources. Tungsten, for instance, 90% of all tungsten produced on the planet is produced between Russia and China. So you can see that it's problematic that you can have a factory, but you can't feed it. But it is going to take a number of years to catch up. And I, I think we'll have to really get used to the fact that a new vehicle is going to take longer to, to get to your driveway that, than it did previously. And, and you're going to have to just live with that reality. I mean, that unfortunately is, is, is the reality that is going to continue to exist. Yeah, I think uh, at least on the flip side, to, to play the eternal optimist here, when you do get that new vehicle though, vehicles are lasting longer and longer, right? So you're not necessarily in the market for a new car every 10 years. You can stretch it up to, I mean, cars now will last 20 years. Oh, yes. I mean, I mean, the build quality is obviously much higher, but you've got to remember, it's not just about the vehicle. There's a whole industry around vehicles. So for instance, the US leads the world in car leasing, and we're talking about a multi-trillion dollar business mm -hmm. that relies on the fact that every four years you rotate your vehicle. Yeah, You know, so the, the knock-on effect of, of keeping your car longer has a profound effect uh, across the board. It will, of course, it increases the value of secondhand vehicles, but you've got the car leasing business to consider. You have ultimately the dealerships, the, even the manufacturers. Manufacturers need you to buy a car every four years. Yeah. <laughs> they want you to buy a car every four years. If you only buy one every 10 or 12 or 15 years, then you know, their output is going to drop. That means prices of those vehicles will increase. So you can see that there's, there's many things to, to consider. The cars, I have no doubt, are now far better manufactured than they've ever been. But I don't think the industry really wants you to start thinking about keeping them running for more than a decade. Yeah, I, well, I don't think that they want to, but just given the way everything's going economically right now, I think it's going to be the reality. There, there's a huge lease culture here, I agree with you. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. I like my shiny new car every three or four years too. But I think just the way everything's going, inflation, people are underwater, it's going to force people to start to look at these kind of options in a more serious way. Yes, I, th I think it's going to be less of a knee-jerk decision and it's going to be more of a measured decision yeah. when you go buy a car. It's not just, you know, you have nothing to do on a Saturday and you walk down your dealership and you, you, you saw your F-150 and said, I've got to have it. <laughs> I think that that's behind us at, at this point. Yeah. But Ultimately, you know, the car industry is really one of the backbones of the global economy. Whether we like it or not, it has such a profound importance to the global economy. 
that any kind of sort of dramatic material disruption can have a, a quite profound effect, a ripple effect through the global economy. So we have to be very, very careful. Yes, inflation right now is enormously problematic and it's not going to go away anytime soon. And when I say that, it's not going to live forever, but, but you're looking comfortably into 23. And that's only if rates continue to rise, because whether you, you like it or not, the only tool that you have to counter this is, is raising rates. And because you need to make the cost of money more expensive, and that will discourage people and more importantly, governments from spending it. You've got to reduce the flow of money. So it's going to be a tough 12 to 18 months ahead of us. But I, I think you have to be very careful about, about keeping your car for, for more than 10 years because it's going to have a, a profound effect uh, across the, the, the economy. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, it's, it's one thing to talk about this in a high level sort of discussion, but I mean, a lot of people that are feeling that pinch, they're, they're not really worried about the world economy. They're worried about their economy, right? Oh, yeah. No. And this is a consequence of inflation. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, for instance, I was just old enough when I was a kid to remember the last round of inflation they saw in the United Kingdom where I grew up. And I remember my mom and dad talking about the, the price of chicken and how from twice a week, it would go down to once a week. And it was, it, to me, it was like confusing. I was like eight years <laughs> old or seven years old. It's a chicken. But, but yeah. ultimately, I think there's a whole section of, of the community that has never really experienced inflation. And it's a really terrible, because the people with the least always suffer the most. Unless you get on top of it immediately, it can really dig in. And, and as you say, people will stop buying cars so regularly because, because of the cost. And that will have this knock-on effect, which then exacerbates the whole issue of what's happening with the economy. And then, you know, recession comes and then, you know, we all know how that ends. So, and, you, you know, even pushing EVs, even pushing an EV right now, the amount of investment that's going into, governments are putting into charge stations, you are pushing a motor vehicle that costs significantly more than the equivalent of a gasoline vehicle. Yeah. And that by its very nature is inflationary. You encourage somebody to spend more money on the same vehicle, which the only difference being one is combustion and one is electric. Yeah. So we sort of went on a runaway there, which is great. But um, so I had one more question I really wanted to ask you. So because of your unique position, what's the sort of like last, we'll say, 24 months been like for you as a supplier to this critical component? Well, I mean, it's, it's been tough because we've had to remain open because we're considered a strategic metal. So we, we didn't have any choice. And that wasn't so easy, especially in underground mines in COVID, because there was no real guidelines for what we had to do to, yeah. to protect everybody. And so it's been quite disruptive generally, but we had no choice. I mean, we, were, we get into a stage where, where material we were shipping out from, say, Portugal, we ship it in containers because it's very dense tungsten. And we would have guys in hazmat suits essentially purge the inside of shipping containers with so much bleach that you had to aerate these things when they arrived before you could walk in them. Because ultimately, can you imagine, you know, we had no idea, especially in 2020, whether what we were putting in there was carrying the virus, who knows, you know, so our customers are saying, listen, whatever it takes, you know, torch it. (laughs) It was, you know, so it's been very disruptive, but, but the credit to the guys in that, uh, I, I have to say, everyone just essentially just try and work together as best as best we could. Demand is is off the charts because ultimately, 
not only are people trying to move away from being totally reliant on China, but also that, that there are new applications for tungsten within this technology sector that is fueling demand. And, and so therefore pricing is very strong. But generally, logistics for shipping tungsten is a mess because of all the, the problems with the containers and vessels. It's quite disrupted at the moment. Yeah. Now, I mean, this is another tangent way to happen, but I don't really have much exposure to anybody in the mining industry. So this is kind of fascinating to me when you mentioned the sort of COVID and the underground mine dilemma. Because, I mean, that's something that I would never think about in my day to day. How did you guys tackle that? Well, if you think about it, you need ventilation underground, which means that ultimately that virus can whip through a mine in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, it's a fairly consistent humidity of around 80% and it's a 16 degrees Celsius underground, but you have ventilation. So it's, it's perfect breeding ground for a virus, uh, which means that if somebody gets a cold in winter, the whole shift gets it. It's like yeah. you can set your bywall. So, so of course, we couldn't have any of the shift teams meeting each other on the way in, on the way out. So you had to keep everyone in these bubbles. The reality was we were actually happier having guys come to work so we could, in fact, monitor their health. Because mining guys, you know, if you leave them to their own devices, firstly, they're all in their minds indestructible. Secondly, they'd be at home smoking and drinking and having a great time. And COVID was everywhere. So it was better. Their wives were very happy that everyone was coming to work so we could <laughs> at least ensure that we could monitor their health. Because really, they, you know, their view of COVID was, ah, you know, big deal. I had, right, right, you know, right. I had worse in the 60s, you know, this is, this is, these mining guys, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of exactly. They, they, they're indestructible. This is nothing, you know, they, they remember a hangover they had in 72 that was much worse, <laughs> you, you know, so we, we had a, a very stringent approach, but yes, it was tricky. We'd never have to, had to try and do this before. And there was no guidance, you know, no guidance from any government because, well, governments were also struggling to find procedures that, that were effective. I mean, no one really, especially in 2020, nobody had any clue. Uh, you just had to do what you thought was the best, you know, try and support everybody to ensure that they were safe. But yeah, it was, it was, it was not easy. And getting parts and, and in maintenance, you know, it's, you know, subcontractors to come in and do maintenance on trucks. And it was, it was challenging. There's no doubt. I bet, yeah. Well, Lewis, I know you're a busy guy. I don't want to keep you all day. Is there anything, any parting words you want to say? The floor is your... Well, I think to quote the great author, Douglas Adams, the key here is don't panic. The market has a, a wonderful way of finding a solution and finding it relatively quickly. I believe that you're going to start seeing some semblance of equilibrium for the semiconductor market during the latter half of next year. So I think you've, you've probably got another 12 months to to sort of tough it out and then know that you have to wait a year or more for the delivery of your vehicles and the car manufacturers are going to struggle to, to maintain their, their revenues and, the, and their outputs. But I think that you're going to start to see more capacity come online during next year and better management of the supply chains generally. So I would say that, that there, is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. This is not all doom and gloom. I love leaving on an enthusiastic, optimistic note. Lewis, thanks for dropping by. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations, and that was CEO of El Monte, Louis Black. Thanks for tuning in. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations with your host, Peter Bowler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And thank you, as always, to SiriusXM Canada for being our title sponsor.